You guys are mad profesh. As, as a professional as you can be in a tiny kitchen in, uh, in Guanas. You might say that we live in a small house, a kind of... Hacienda. Hacienda. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, on bass guitar and with his name on the lease, it's Peter Hook. In 1982, the brain trust behind Factory Records and the members of New Order decided it might be fun to open a club in Manchester. That club became the legendary Hacienda. In addition to being the cradle of acid house music and rave culture in the 80s and 90s, it would be a money pit and persistent management disaster for all associated with it. And today we'll be learning all about the Hacienda, Madchester, and the only way you can't make money on selling beer through New Order Bass's Peter Hook's memoir, The Hacienda, How Not to Run a Club. How Not to Run a Club. So did you learn, so it's kind of like inventing the light bulb. You just have to come up with 10,000 ways not to run a club, and then you figure out the one way to run a club. I think I could run a club after reading this. Yeah? Yeah. The answer is hire people who know what the fuck they're doing. Not Ten- to give away the entire thesis of the book. Oh, my God. We can stop recording right now. Ten rules for not ruining my teenage club. <laughs> for dating my teenage club. <laughs> uh, well, that third uh, laughter uh, means that we have a guest today, and yeah. that guest is our friend, uh, linchpin of our karaoke crew, of which we're slowly collecting different members of, including Shanti Collins and Matthew Perpetua. Uh, Sing with us! Is Sarah Fonder. Sarah, welcome to the pod. Hi, I'm super stoked to be here. Yay! Now, basically, since we started this little project, you were like... Come, I got to do one of these. Oh, yeah. And I got I'm, a feeling that tonight's going to be, be a good pod. A good, good pod. Yeah. Uh, and the Hacienda was one of the, this book particular is one of the, one of the top two or three books that you requested. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, something that was automatic. It was just like you were talking about wanting to do it. And it was like, oh, I was obsessed with the Hacienda when I was like in high school. So. Yeah, you were right. <laughs> way cooler than me. I didn't know this existed in high yeah, school. Uh, you were telling me I was you were asking if we need to do any prep for this. And I was like, you just need like some basic. Uh, I mean, do you have any basic background about it? And you were like, well, I've seen 24 hour party people. I have a, a homemade Happy Mondays T-shirt. Uh, wasn't there a third thing? Uh, well, um, I sort of did like a really dumb seance for Ian Curtis when I was like 16. Yeah. So successful. Uh, well only in the way that like I was a stupid teenager and was convinced that like sitting in my room with candles and atmosphere blaring on my speakers and closing my eyes and thinking real hard about, you know, why Ian Curtis was dead or whatever was a successful enough way to commune with a dead person. I mean, the magic exists if you believe in it. Yeah. And then after that, did you go uh, take a walk in silence? No, but I was like pretty convinced that I had some sort of psychic connection with him and 
I was really pretentious as a teenager. <laughs> so in case anyone didn't already get that. We, it beats thinking about alive people. What a drag. Alive people can disappoint you in so many ways that you don't even know yet. Think of all the Logan Paul fans now. Yeah. Every day so. is agony. Yeah, Wait, perhaps, did I pick the right Paul? Perhaps or is it Logan Paul should Jake take Paul. a should take a page out of you. <laughs> oh my god. That's terrible. That's what you said. That's not what I said. Well, you said that it might be he might be remembered more fondly if he did. No, I just think that it Anywho. must be a stressful just, time you know. to be a Logan Paul fan. Every day brings on a new uh, news cycle of impropriety. <laughs> of impropriety. You could just suggest that he suddenly get really into Werner Herzog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it would certainly bring about a different style of vlog, which yeah. I think we would welcome. Or just take a break and reform as a as a dance YouTuber. Sure. Um, Not so, enough of those. So we're kind of already doing that, but do we want to get it uh, go around the hook and talk about our hook? Go around the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Not the horn, the hook for this one, and talk about our uh, our previous experiences. Yeah, let's talk about our hook, our hookums, our hookups. You want to go first? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really know or care about uh, any of the joys divisions or the the news orders until college and then you know you date someone who has a joy division shirt and then they break up with you and then you steal the joy division shirt and now it's your favorite shirt it's fine Is that shirt stolen from a boyfriend yeah oh nice it's reparations um <laughs> but no i i like i enjoy i enjoy the music of joy division and new order and i just had no i i didn't know anything about this particular venture of those particular brothers so that's where i was at uh sarah um, so I guess my biggest like Peter Hook thing was there was a moment when I was like 16 or 17 and for whatever reason, um, so I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma and for whatever reason, Peter Hook was doing a DJing at a bar in Tulsa and you know, it's like big, it sounds like a big get for Tulsa. Oh yeah. Amazing like, market for, well, for Peter Hook. Yeah. I was like completely blown away because nobody seemed to talk about it or care. <laughs> and I was also just sort of like, how do I get in on this? And so I like ended up messaging the owner of the bar on MySpace because it was like a 21 plus thing. Sure, I was sure, like, this sure. is some bullshit. And, um, you know, I was like, how do I get in on this? And like, you know, it was like, well, you could bring your mom. And I was like, <sighs> so I didn't go. Because I didn't. Yeah. Mom wasn't cool uh, enough. I mean, I just thought about the reality of like going to see like, you know, the bass player for a band that I sort of liked at a bar with my mom yeah. and other adults, like just being more or less a child. And I was just sort of like, uh, maybe later someday. I feel you. Sometimes you don't want to pollute, pollute the environment in which the uh, art is experienced. It just didn't seem like a good time. Yeah. All said and done. Uh, but we also have both seen 24 hour party people, mm. which is a great movie that more or less tells this exact story. Sure. A little, a little more on each end. It kind of goes from the beginning of Joy Division through uh, the end of the Hacienda, but like all this stuff is is in it. Yeah, um, I figured. Yeah, which is a great movie. It's a kind of a weird and meta movie. It's like a movie about being a movie about a guy who cares a lot about fame and celebrity. Yeah. Um. So it's I've seen that, so I know that story. And then I've I've also been a pretty hardcore New Order fan for a number of years. I have seen Peter Hook and the Light. Uh, as the basis from Primal Scream said, I have seen Peter, Peter Hook uh, drag his mate's cadaver around the world, getting himself paid by doing his Joy Division cover band, Peter Hook and the Light. 
Uh, so I've seen the man live and I've also seen the other remaining members of new order play live. So I've seen all the news orders. Yeah. Uh, and they're great. And, uh, I've, I've tried to look into a little bit like getting into the, the music around this club scene, but I find it other than like the happy Mondays themselves a little inscrutable. So hopefully this will get, we'll get some good wrecks through this. Yeah, we will. I think that seems to be the only like, uh, you know, pop, positive thing to come out of this whole endeavor was the music is a good club music yeah that's basically it well that's the thing that survives yeah um should we should we get into it let's dive into the hacienda so the the way this book is written a it starts when the hacienda starts and so there's a whole joy division saga that we don't really get into and it starts after ian curtis has died Um, the whole point, the whole way the Hacienda starts is literally just like, so the, the main players in this are obviously Peter Hook, who's the bassist of Joy Division, the new order, um, Tony Wilson, who co-founded factory records and, um, Rob Gretton, who is new orders manager. Uh, Peter Hook describes Rob as the ideas man and Tony as Rob's enforcer. (laughs) Um, But they kind of seem like this weird dynamic duo who are basically just like poked the band a bunch of times. and were like, hey, guys, hey, guys, you know, what would be really amazing is if we started a club (laughs) and they were like, sure. And that's literally how it started. It's the dumbest shit in the world. Like, that's it. And they're a bunch of like synth nerds. Yeah, they like basically play music and are, you know, are sad and are from Manchester. And they write the those. What did Alex uh, James call Blue Monday? So sad. So gray and beautiful. So gray and beautiful. They write the gray and beautiful music. Um, The inspiration from uh, for the Hacienda came from these sort of New York super clubs like uh, Paradise Garage, Mm -hmm. Danceteria area, places like that. So they went to these places in New York. We're like, this is fun as shit. Let's do this in Manchester. Yeah. Who what Manchester was not ready. It took <laughs> like they built this thing and it took years for anyone to even come in the door on a regular basis. It was slim pickings for a long time. Like they had to teach Manchester how to go clubbing. They had to teach Manchester how to rave. Um they were uh, like, Oh, we go to the we locked the pub. Is like, that can we is a rave a thing we can do at the pub then? <laughs> can I wear my long black coat there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, an early sign of how the Hacienda was going to be run was, um, an, it was 1979 New Year's Eve factory records did like a showcase at a different venue. Uh, and Tony tells Rob to buy a bunch of cheap beers and sell them for a profit at the club. And no one had exact change and they didn't have petty cash. So they just gave the beer away. <laughs> how not to make money off of selling, beer. how not to make money off. That's one way to not make money off of selling beer. Uh, count Rackham way. Number one, how to not make money off of selling beer. Yes. Um, if you can add a little ding, a ding sound effect in post, that'd be sweet. <laughs> uh, it should be said that just for clarification that factory records is the record label of joy division, new order yes. that had become extremely hot at the end of the seventies and eighties They for signing a bunch of new wave bands and yes. generally being a, a icon factory. And they're very into their like, desi- they're very like aesthetic designy. Like every album has a number. Like everything is yes. like, everything's it's kind of like as if it came out of a factory, I guess. I don't yes. know. And, um, and everything, uh, not just the albums, everything had a everything number. like the chairs, uh, legendarily the cat was just named like factory 65 or something. Yeah. So the club is 51. That's mm-hmm. uh, factory 51 is it's, it's number, uh, which shows you what fucking dorks these people are. <laughs> they're great. They're just, they like to get drunk and they're, they're just kind of nerdy. 
Um, so yeah, they, they, they were going to fund, uh, the club with the profits from new order and joy division records. Um, so that's, yeah. Uh, the original cost to build this club was estimated at 70,000 pounds. It ended up being over 340,000 pounds. Um, this is before the club has served a single patron. The, uh, we kind of, we kind of lowballed it there. <laughs> well, it's because they keep like they they pick these people. It's it's gorgeously designed, mm-hmm. like the these like pillars and columns and paint and it look and it's massive too. So we tweeted a photo of this from the introducing account, but I do highly recommend looking up uh, that the hacienda interior because it does look like a cool place to hang out. But it's just one of those things where like uh, the cooler something looks, the more it sort of unnecessarily costs, perhaps. Um, so they build the club. There's a club, there's a stage, there's a bar, there's a kitchen, there's like other space that they have not accounted for. And they forget to make a coat room. Uh, one of the guys comes in and is like, where's the cloak room? I've not seen it yet. Cloak room. Oh fuck. <laughs> this is like the day before it opens. They're like, uh, in factory record or in the Hacienda's defense, well, I guess not many clubs I go to, but there are a lot of places to go dance that don't take coats. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, it was like the 80s. It was like a different time. That's one of <laughs> that's the big one of the big downfalls of going out in the winter in, in the York. winter and ma- no place to put your coat and, and Manchester coat looks I exactly the same. I assume everyone's wearing coats all the time. Do you have a, a coat strategy uh, going out, Sarah? I just hold my coat the whole time. But then you got your coat. Then you got to be responsible for this coat. coat. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to spend money on checking my coat. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, in my younger, more ambitious days, I had this idea for like an almost city bike-esque startup of like mobile lockers that you could just go and like kind of put park for like a few hours, like from nine to one in front of clubs and they'd be like really small lockers that you could open with like your cell phone or something and just shove all your shit inside i've pretty much wanted that before it's i think it would be a very in-demand service charge like a buck an hour for it i like the uniqlo parkas that fold up into tiny little cubes yeah we should all wear like hiking or camping jackets that you can uh stuff in a little bag that's built into it and put it around like a little uh clutch or something or a little purse utilitarianism or bust um, okay, so the Hacienda must be built, and the Hacienda is built. Um, they So at first they have live shows and DJ nights. Um, they're one of the early DJs named Hugh and Clark. Uh, he plays music that it's not like this sort of gothy, new wavy uh, factory records material. It's like dance music, electronic dance music. Um, early to- tunes played at the club are D-Train, You're the One for Me. Yeah. Um, do you want to you hit a little bit of this? Yeah. This is another thing I would recommend looking up the image for because uh D train really stares into the soul on the cover of this 12 inch really stares into the soul yeah he, he's got he's got piercing he's really seducing me he's with coming the, straight through your tunnel yeah 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 so this is obviously not music that like the general like gloomy populace of manchester is used to yeah when i hear music like this i think of northern uh england <laughs> um Another another tune they said was on the roster was Sharon Red. Can you handle it? Yeah, this is like a this got like a Bernie Worrell vibe. This is kind of like a bootleg uh, uh, Bernie Worrell type type synthesizers. Yeah, 
I don't I don't know who that is, but Oh, he's the synth guy from Parliament. Oh, okay. Yes. Bending the bending the, little, the notes a little yeah. bit. Yeah. He's also uh if, Yeah, if you listen to um if you listen to Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads record, he's the guy who's manning the synths in the real big songs in that one. Stop making sense. The Stop making sense. No, don't stop making <laughs> don't, sense. Don't stop making sense. Wait, again, can I digress for a second? Because please. speaking of stop making sense, um, I can't do the first they came for blank and I said nothing because I feel like I've been pretty strenuously saying things. But uh, <laughs> the new round, newest round of Trump uh, petty China bullshit uh, tariffs have come for the sense because Moog, this, the famous synthesizer uh, manufacturers recently said that they might need to draw down production in America because the ingredients for their sense that they brew up are now more expensive due my to God. Donald Trump's trade war with China. So my God, man, you're really, really, he's, he's finding a way to literally split every segment of the population and come for them. Even if your your particular segment is uh, nerdy synth head. Yeah. First they came for the synths and I said nothing because I was not a synth player. Yeah. Then they came <laughs> for the guitars and I said nothing because I was not a guitar player. <laughs> Then they came for me and there was nobody left to do sick no, solos. Yeah, no one solos. was in my band anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went solo as a result. Uh, this is Sharon Red. Can you handle it? Could this be described as like post disco or yeah. just like disco? I don't know where the line in the sand of like. I feel like disco is pretty solidly dead in like the yeah. early yeah. mid eighties. I feel like it's disco figuring out what its next what its next step is. Like this is still profitable, so we're still gonna do it. <laughs> this if you if you guys are watching this video, you would think that this is definitely disco. She's wearing a shimmery black sequin gown, uh, and there's a lot of those like cross cuts where it like fades very slowly from yeah. one angle to another. Nice dissolve. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's upbeat. Yeah, yeah. It's jazzy. It's fun. Uh, New Order plays the Hacienda mid-82. Uh, uh, so the, a lot of the, the early years was like the Factory Records folks and their affiliates um, that were kind of keeping people in the coming in the doors because no one knew how to club. They were club, completely club illiterate. Um, but uh, the promotional style often backfired. Uh, um, do we, do we want to hear just a quick clip of this would be uh, according to this, uh, New Order live at the Hacienda. Yeah. Uh, around 1983. Great. Uh, we all know this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Temptation. So this was like still for no one. Uh, there's a crowd there, uh, but it's a very much a rock crowd. They're all kind of swaying aside. They're almost like moshing. Honestly, New Order is playing music that people are still figuring out what to do with because they were like rock. They were a rock band, and then they're like, no, 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 we're a dance band now. Yeah. And people are so like half the crowd's like pot kind of uh, jack hammering up and down, and the other half's like swaying into each other. <laughs> do we dance or do we rock? Do we dance or do we just keep beating each other up? Are we human or are we dancer? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, future music anthropologists will note that uh, New Order was perhaps the first band to ask, are we human or are we dancer? Yeah. The question yeah. we're all still answering. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, put in the more <laughs> literal terms, of course, uh, 25 years later by The Killers. Yeah. 
but they must they must uh, acknowledge their forebearers. <laughs> I will say that the mood of this concert is still the very much so gray, so beautiful, so gray, so beautiful. Um, there's a band called Teardrop Explodes that they play in '82. Uh, they were massive at the time, and Rob paid them three thousand dollars to do a secret gig. Three grand is a little high, yes, uh, for the time. We kept it so secret; only eight people turned up. <laughs> like what a bummer! But imagine being Teardrop Explodes and being like, ah, three thousand dollars. It's like that's basically like five hundred bucks per person. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Although no, it's it's the absurd. ROI cannot be argued yes. with. We uh, have we just have to rock all all eight of these people uh, an appropriate amount. Um, we can give give a little more to each. Yes. Although no, it it actually sucks to play two empty crowds, no matter what you're doing or how much you're getting paid. Yes. Um. So the mismanagement of this club is happens more or less because they hire. I mean the. Hook and New Order have very little to do with operations. They're basically just funding it. And then the people who they've hired as staff are just not, they're either like friends or they're just, they're not just people other, to be trusted. They're just other random Manchurians. Um, th- thievery is very common. Um, Hook says, it got to the stage where I was sick of asking, where have all the lights gone? <laughs> the lights? One of the lighting guys who was an ex-roadie, uh, he was so renting. He knew how to hook them all up. He was now renting out our bleeding lights. Years later, he came back into the club, and the receptionist had him thrown into the canal. <laughs> um, the the nice thing about this anecdote is that the receptionist just told the security, like, throw this guy in the canal, and he didn't even ask why. He just did it, <laughs> which just tells you the rapport of the time. Yeah, and yes, and also the the nature of running a business in which having a to throw people into canals is a very common cur- occurrence. It's not, it must have been nice to have the canal there for that reason. Yes. It's, it's really more of a it started as an industrial urban industrial project and then it became more of a security feature <laughs> um, of this early time. Hook says I made so many wrong assumptions. I never associated what I saw at the Hacienda with our money. I believe that everyone who worked there had the same objective in mind as me to make it a success. I assumed that everyone knew what they were doing. I was wrong on all counts. <laughs> um, is there any. Uh, is there any talk of the other members of the band and how they thought about it? Very little. I think that that's a hook thing because I think to Peter Hook, uh, he has the right take on on the band and everybody else has the wrong. And I think to the rest of New Order, uh, Hook is the odd man out, which I mean, obviously, given how it turns out. But, um, you know, I think that that is, is telling for uh, how he maybe thinks of the rest of the members of the band that made yeah, him famous. I don't think he thinks mu- much about them at all. Mm-hmm. Um. He says, I thought DJs were overpaid, arrogant twats. So when I became one, I fit in perfectly. <laughs> well, um, at least he's got a little self uh, examination. Yeah, he's definitely like he know his his tone is just like so cranky. Like he's just so annoyed. It seems he, you can also look back. So he's recalling a, a period of like 20 years where he was basically just like partying all the time. Mm-hmm. And that should be fun. But also he was just like, I think he only sees it as like I was hemorrhaging money for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, in 1983, Happy Mondays play for the first time there. It's their second ever performance. It's a battle of the bands, and they come in last. <laughs> <laughs> of, I, I assume following uh, Happy Ma- Mondays management style, they sign the the band that comes in last at the battle of the bands. Uh, yeah, that's got it's sort of a unique way of doing it. Raw, super raw talent. Or I, what did um? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, who was it? There was a band that was playing and people were fleeing the stage in large droves. Oh, it was uh, Alice Cooper. Played uh, Hacienda? Uh, no, no, no. In, De- oh, in yeah. Dennis Dunaway's memoir, um, he says that they're playing and they're just clearing the room and their managers at the time are like, this is good. You've got like something powerful to work oh, with. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of the, the happy Mondays coming vibe. in last vibe. Um, what is your entry point to Happy Mondays? Uh... So there is this like super duper little known book that I read when I was 13. It is this like British kind of like, you know, derivatively described uh chick derivative isn't the right word. Um der- like if you were derisive device Yeah, derisively. if you were if you were like going to shit talk this book, you'd call it chicklet. But it is this um it's this book called To Be Someone. Cool. And um, it's by a writer named Louise Foss. And basically the plot of the book is um, this woman who was in a band who was popular in the 80s. Um, she gets in this accident and, you know, her face gets all busted up and she basically becomes a social pariah overnight. And, um, you know, nobody wants to talk to her. Nobody cares about her anymore. And she becomes a radio DJ and she has this plot that she is going to kill herself in like at the end of her radio show. And she's going to make the entire playlist, um, songs that have been important to her throughout her life. And um, one of those songs was Kinky Afro. And it was just sort of like this. It's shaped the way that I've thought about music ever since. And it's a really, really good book um, that I should really reread because I haven't read it in like probably 15 years. (laughs) This Um, sounds like a like lady uh, who's the high fidelity guy. uh, Oh, oh, uh Nick Hornby. Yeah. Not enough people use music to like do a good job at describing feelings in fiction. I mean, I've read mostly corny. I've read High Fidelity and I mostly forgot it, but I've never forgotten this book. Yeah. This is Kinky Afro. So this is what the Happy Mondays will become. Yes. After they bomb that first battle of the band. Do you know what this, what year this was? Um, I am not sure what year Kinky Afro came out. Um, I think Tony Wilson said that one of his favorite opening lines for any song of all time was, son, I'm 30. I only went with your mother because she's dirty. It's it's a great, like, short story opener. Like, okay, like, this kid's probably feeling really shitty right now. Uh, 1990. Okay. So this is a little skip ahead. But they, yeah. So they develop. Yes. Great. Kind of a preview of what's to come. So basically, you know, cool, cool bands are at the, at the Haas. Uh, Einsterz and Neubauten. Einsterz and Neubauten. Neubauten. That sounds right. Um, they played and their singer brought a drill on stage and started drilling the, one of the central pillars of the club. Mm-hmm. And they had to like basically knock him out to make him stop. Are you talking about Blixa? Wait, what? Blixa? What's Blixa? Blixa Bargeld? Is that the lead singer? singer? Uh, He's he's in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds now. Oh, really? No, wait, 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 wait. He's uh, not been in them for a while, but is one of the most popular members of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Got it. Uh, See, this is why I, I knew you'd be a ringer on this. Because you know how to pronounce Einstein's yeah. <laughs> I um, honestly just guessed. Can we pull up a sample song? Yeah, this is them live in 1982. Great. 
Oh, there is a buzzsaw going off on stage. Yeah, so... And it's just screaming sparks. So it's literally industrial music. Though. Oh, it's, it's incredibly industrial. Um, the lead singer has a, a whole bottle of whiskey uh, in one hand, and he's uh, kind of hovering over the microphone, screaming into it as the shower of sparks rains over him in the back. Good. It's pretty fucking dope. It's both industrial and literally metal. It really also doesn't help that, like, German is arguably one of the most terrifying languages of all time. Yeah. It's true. It's true. The only person who's ever been able to harness it properly for uh, pretty pop music is Nina. Yes. Bless her. Um, there's one of the longest running club nights of the Hacienda's existence, Nude, which was DJed by Mark Pickering begins. And that's uh, what eventually infuses house music into mm-hmm. uh, Manchester and England and the world. Um, so they're trying to get the club off the ground. They are still uh, mostly relying on live music to get people in the house. Um, but in 1985, New Order really hits that. Like people start to like get them. Yeah. Um, and Low Life was their album that was mm-hmm. released, and they so they finally start. They're not even making like a ton of money up until this point, and they finally started getting real money, and it all has to go back into the club. <laughs> um, they're just like still running at such a debt. Also, I should mention another way to lose money on beer. In the early, when they were first running, they made a deal. I didn't realize you could do this. There's a brewery named Whitbread, and they made a deal that they would be their beer purveyor, but they took a loan from Whitbread to get the club completed. Therefore, Whitbread was allowed to basically decide the pricing of wholesale beer to the club forever like forever <laughs> and so they they had no pricing advantage on their beer at all they were basically in the student loan debt crisis but but beer. a beer this the uh the beer debt crisis yeah wow that is an incredibly complicated way to not be able to make money off of selling beer in your crack <laughs> in your club they really they really went for the all-stars of fucking up selling making money off of selling beer in a club it's oh man insane. it kind of sounds like you guys are building up to uh having to have like a uh david letterman 10 ways to not Let's sell earn beer. money off of beer at your club we've got two <laughs> Well, you're going to spend the entire time of the top 10 list uh, segment explaining the financial arrangement between local beer companies. (laughs) Um, The the taxes of the Hacienda, as well as factory records in general, have also been thoroughly botched slash like purposefully uh, misled. Uh Um, They have an issue where their receptionist, I guess it's common practice back in the day and probably still now to have one set of accounting books that you would actually show people and one set of accounting books that you would keep to yourself. I know your, your pops is an accountant, so maybe he could uh, speak to this. We can get a little accountant guest spot. Um, Yeah. He would never, he would never, your fave would never. Oh man. So this is an aside. Um, and probably not necessarily something to be included, but there's this cartoonist that I really like who made a video of um, uh, a fictional accountant um, doing taxes for rock stars uh-huh. and basically just like, you know, making tax breaks out of their nonsense. So yeah. it's like, you know, Billy Corgan and Neil Young and like Sid Barrett and <laughs> like Michael McDonald and <laughs> highly recommend it. It's a super good time. Great. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it doesn't sound like an easy feat to manage the money of something that seems to be so 
like vague and often in cash. Like it sounds nuts, but they, their receptionist handed the wrong set of accounting books to the tax men. Classic, they came classic tax evasion bungle, yeah. handing the wrong books, a real, a real issue. Yeah. Um, and so the, they, uh, the, it was the three stooges were in there replacing a light bulb and they were tripping over paint cans and, uh, distracting the secretary and caused her to accidentally hand yep. the blue book over when she was supposed to hand the red book. Drats. Can you imagine? Can you believe? Um, the So they got hit with these like crazy tax bills for like a variety of reasons. This book you gave us then, uh, it says, uh, just by every note, it just says uh, steal. <laughs> uh, so it says uh, 40 pounds stolen. And then the next line here, it says 48 pounds stolen. Yeah, and that's so, right. Uh, you, just, you just stole this then? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll keep track we're going of to how much Thank you stole. for the receipts. <laughs> Why is your whole yeah, I mean, book in that, quotation marks? I guess that begs the question of like, if you are going to commit systematic tax evasion and fraud, why would you write down the, yeah. the fraud? I mean, that's the old like, like gangsters boondoggle in a way yeah. of like, uh, how do you keep track of your of your illicitness? Yeah. Um. So at this point, uh, Hook says we were no longer working for ourselves or making music for the love of it. It felt like we were doing it for the tax man or the bloody hacienda. So every time they put shit down on vinyl in his head, he's like, ah, oh, this is just going straight to the club to be. Eaten so they up. somehow conned themselves in a way to being their own bosses. Yes. Uh, right. Um, but Tony says to Hook, he says, the tax man did you a favor, darling. You would have made shit music without that those fines. Because <laughs> they, they were arguably in like a creative uh, zenith at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so then by 1986, uh, house music, the popularity is on the rise, which meant that their club nights finally started to get popular. Um, the club still remained beset by various issues, even as more people started getting in the door. Uh Hook writes, our money went up in flames. This sounds like a metaphor, but actually he's referring to a night, New Year's Eve, 1987, where they set off indoor fireworks in the massive amounts of cash they were taking in that night that had to be stuffed behind the bar set, got set on fire. He said there's like 5,000 5, pounds that literally burned to a crisp. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's maybe the only anecdote where I've actually heard uh, money, money go up in flames. Yeah, yep. Um, so there's an intro things kind of like take 86, 87, sort of like these watershed years where people finally start getting into like house music makes it across the pond from Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Oh wait, it's actually fun to dance and do drugs. It's um, amazing that it took that long to, to get there. Well, I guess not really. That's why marijuana is illegal in this country because of yeah. enterprising young black people who decide who, who really did the shoe put the shoe leather into the research that it's fun to dance and do drugs at the same time. Yes. Blessings. Um, well, not for the century not, of marijuana prohibition, but sure. But for the, the hard one young people research. Yes. Thank you for your service. Um, there's an interlude in this book where I think, um, I think he just puts it in to just kind of like describe what the mindset of the band was at the time, but they go to Ibiza, Ibiza, yes. Ibiza. 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 To record. Um, but the problem is that they've figured out ecstasy. Ecstasy has come into Ibiza. <laughs> and Peter Hook takes to it like a duck to water, he Great. says. Um, it should be said, one morning, he literally wakes up on a beach in, in Ibiza. Ibiza. In 1987? Yeah, I feel uh, like it's... In 1987. Is that, is that directly uh, about him? That might be. 
It doesn't say he doesn't say he's nude, mm -hmm. but he says that a periscope emerges from the water and then a submarine and then a bunch of sailors get. Are you still a sailor if you're on a submarine or are you a submariner? Sub submariner. Submariner. <laughs> I only think that you're a submariner if you're an enemy of Aquaman. Are you an, are you an underwater boy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. These you're are the sailors and these are the underwater, underwater boys. boys. Um, the underwater boys come up and he says it's the most amazing thing he's ever seen. And he, it kind of sounds like he might be naked, that, but he doesn't say it explicitly. But the way people stare at him, it sounds like maybe his little willy's out. Well, if we ever get to interview James Murphy, we'll have to ask if that is uh, uh, if that anecdote in Losing My Edge is derived from Peter Hook. I woke up naked on the beach in Ibiza in 1988s. We can only hope. We um, can only hook. We can only hook. So they're wasting time and money in Ibiza, um, not able to, they're literally just not able to sit down and record because they're too busy flying on club drugs. Um, they get into like two car crashes in a day. Uh, one of the, one of those car crashes happens with two random British guys that they like gave, were giving a ride home. Yeah, good. And yeah, it happened. Good two car crashes a day. That's it, a good rate. Yeah, it happened. And the boys scream head on collision with new order. Yeah. Watches, yeah. <laughs> um, they finish what be eventually finish what becomes the album technique. Uh huh. Um, do we want to pull something up from technique? I would love to pull something from technique. A fave. I'm just going to say it's so hard to like not just internally cringe every time I hear people say Ibiza, even though I know it's correct because it just sort of like it's awful. Have you ever seen Popstar? Oh, the yeah. Never Stop, Never yeah, Stop yeah, yeah. It? Yes. Oh, yes. That yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I forget which one this was. Uh, he did a whole song about that is basically just based on, you know, everyone in Spain pronouncing S's with T-H. Yeah, it's just it's like, like a lisp Spanish yeah, it's like, song. It's like everybody just has this crazy speech impediment. I've almost got this. Um, and I, I say as a, I'm a, just a very I'm a I'm a mispronouncer from birth. Like I always read things before I hear them. And so like that that's one I thought it was St. Saint Trapez forever. And then I think P Diddy, it was a P Diddy song that taught me that it was Saint Tropez. Um, there's also that I would say St. Tropez, St. Tropez, whatever. People, <laughs> look, dude, people yeah. pronounce things differently in different parts of the world. Yeah. I'm like, sure there's not a huge culture in, I don't know, uh, um, central Asia of being sure that you make sure that you say, no, it's Mick, Donald's oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. That's true. I appreciate your, your drive toward a more fluid sense of pronunciation. Yeah, it's fine. This is a bigger conversation because people make fun of uh, the other podcasts I work on all the time for mispronouncing things. But in my opinion, talking about or harping on the way people pronounce things is both the most boring thing that people do in podcasts and the most boring thing people talk about podcasts. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm actually making this podcast more boring by talking about it, but I wanted to take the platform that I make for myself to expand, expound that thesis. You're a pronunciation um, uh, descriptivist, not prescriptivist. Yes, exactly. Anyway, this is Fine Time by New Order off their 1989 <laughs> album Technique. <laughs> Head on collision with New Order. Yeah. <laughs> this is funny. I like how the 80s had just especially silly synths. So silly. 
Like, people could never now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, like, they could, but it'd be, like, an ironic thing. Even, like, like the crazy vocal samples in, like, Justin Bieber songs produced by, you know, Skrillex and Diplo, like, they're not dorky. They're, they're like, made to be cool. But I prefer this dorky shit. Oh, yeah, I used to hear this song all the time at work. When yep. I worked at a doctor's office. What? <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. I had a really cool manager who would play like New Order and the Smiths and like, you know, I would just hear the same songs every day. <laughs> and it would be really good songs and I would just get really sick of them because, you know, it was like a thousand song Spotify playlist. Ooh, that that hit that just came in is like peak eighties sound. Um yeah, this is a, a pretty jamming, intense dance dance uh, track for them. And I think that for my last re-listening to this, which was probably like six weeks ago, that the rest of the album conforms to this. Is that is that true, that it's like a pretty dance-heavy dancey, dance heavy album for them, as Hook writes? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is this the album with, like, the girl who's, like, posing weird? It's, like, she's, it's, like, against a beach ball or something? It's, uh, no, it's, it's an album with a, a chromatic shifted, uh, image of a sh- statue like a greek statue so like the sort of like weird like vaporwave cover yeah it's a it's very vaporwave. <laughs> anyway a lot going on in this song i don't know if you ever i feel like the sound of the 80s once since started to become a real thing is like did you ever get like a casio keyboard or like your friend maybe did when you were a kid and as soon as you kind of figured out you could like change things and like mm-hmm. hit the different keys you just went like ape shit i yeah, feel yeah. like that's what happened in production everyone realized they're like oh i can make it do that yeah again yep. i feel like we should go back yes. <laughs> yeah seriously there uh, is a sense of childlike uh play. exploration yeah, yeah. and joy that i do enjoy from yeah there's just like a billion things going on in this song Maximalism. And same like when I was a. Uh... Yeah, why what the fuck not? Oh, yeah. Like when I was uh, listening to Bl- uh, Blue Monday to build the uh, intro and outro for this, just mm-hmm. like remembering how many different little things happened in that song. Yeah. Like it feels very minimalist through its production, but there are like I like a dozen different synth doodles that happen throughout it and repeat over and over throughout. <laughs> it's weirdly both minimalist and maximist. Yeah. What, are, what are they even doing here? It's just a new onto preset seven. This is true, yeah. Life. I mean, this is drugs for sure. Yeah. I think what, that that was really the nice thing about Chill Wave was everybody just started using those really cheesy synths again, yeah. and like people kind of I think wanted to pretend that they weren't like super into it. It was just like, oh, there's just something about the way that this sounds and like the level of cheese that is just so soothing, yeah, and so emotionally satisfying. It's kind of like the mall, like, yeah, yeah, but like. It's hard to explain. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it feels, it feels good. I mean, yeah. an- another point in this example, the one sound that I was saying was like the peak sound for me. I be- keep on waiting for it to come back and repeat again. And it has not since like minute one. What is the sound? <laughs> it's, it's like those big, uh, you would call them a hit in like synth terms, but there's like, yeah. Bam, bam. Are you talking about like, oh, the orchestral hit? Yeah, the orchestral yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like basically, um, it's, I just watched a video about it. I also just yeah. watched a video about this. We probably yeah. got served the same video on YouTube Wait, because I I'm sure we both spend a lot of time watching synth videos on YouTube. I think Matthew is also um, linked in the video. Is or this whatever. the sample, like the er sample of synths that's from um, like a Prokofiev like 
Yeah, Symphony it's something, something like that. Yeah. 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 I wish like, we were all more informed on the thing that we all clearly watched at the same time so we could actually describe it for our podcast. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, that thing where, um, you know, uh, so when I was in elementary school, um, we were like taught about, I think it was Handel mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. or whoever it was who made this song that was like, basically supposed to troll people who came to the orchestra <laughs> shows because he would notice that they were falling asleep. Oh, so yeah, so like, but, but, yeah, 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 like dun, 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 Bam! <laughs> I feel like that's an orchestral hit. It's yeah. like, you know, you do like the big thing where like, you know, you make your hands go out yeah, yeah. and then you make everybody stop and it's really loud. Yeah. Is it the Orc 5? Is yeah, this what you're yes. talking about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We should move on for this, but I'll put the li- the video to the Orc 5, link to the Orc 5 video in the episode description. It's it's, fr- it's not from Prokofi. It's from Firebird. It's from Skrillex. It's from Skrillex. It's from Skrillex. Yeah, it's Skrillex's Firebird. That that would rule. Yeah. Sorry, I think that'd be amazing. I would love a dubstep Firebird. I don't care how corny that sounds. The beloved classical artist Skrillex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's a great video about like an iconic uh, synth sound. Yeah. Uh, and I'll put it in the show notes this. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, so they finish. They finish their album. They throw a rave to celebrate um, in the village of Box, England, uh, where they've been recording Fucking at England, Peter Gabriel's. They, they finally had to leave Ibiza because they, they just did. could not focus. They did all the drugs <laughs> in Ibiza, and they were like, "Well, we ran out here. Let's go see what Peter Gabriel's up to." They did all the drugs. They gotten. They couldn't ha- rent any more cars because they crashed all the cars. <laughs> they hadn't recorded a single no. And they all the were submariners like, oh. had come home. Yeah, all the all the underwater boys had left. Um, so they went to Peter Gabriel's studio. They um, so they bust everyone they knew down to box, and they handed out free ecstasy to everyone. This was a lot of people's first time doing ecstasy. Okay, great. That they invited. He said, "Couples shagged in Peter's custom built la- custom built lakes, scaring his imported swans." Oh God! <laughs> I didn't even dirty. know you could have a custom built lake. Yeah, man. I just wouldn't want to be fucking in swan shit. <laughs> Peter Gabriel's getting all that new order money. He can buy as yeah. many lakes as he wants. Um, 87 is when and 87 and 88 is when acid house really explodes. Um, this time is referred to as the second summer of love. Uh, <laughs> and the Hacienda is like perfectly positioned to embrace it. So it literally takes, it takes five years to them for really, to really hit their stride. Um, but drugs flood the club as well because these things are kind of tied hand in hand. Um, spiking or dozing people becomes really common. Oh God. Um, Hook says that his best friend Twinny is especially good at literally throwing pills in people's mouths without their real, like without their knowledge, like just chucking pills in people's, like right now you'd be a great, really get it. Wow. That is a, uh, a level of drug creepiness that I, I have been previously on privy to. He said for, for the past couple of years, you had to bring your drink with you to the loo because um, someone would put acid in it if you just left it out. But like, this is a whole new level of um, (laughs) unawares drugging, which is not cool. Kids. No, don't do it. Don't throw 
don't throw ecstasy pills into other people's mouth without their explicit consent. No matter how much fun it looks. No No matter how much fun. No No matter matter how good your aim is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like girls just learn that anyway to always watch your drinks. Yeah. Um, And I feel like the guys had to learn it too. But taking it up to to the level of do not open your mouth is a whole nother zone. I mean, that just kind of seems like a really weird, like augmented reality game. It's like, (laughs) okay, so we have like 10 ecstasy pills and we have 15 friends. (laughs) And how good is your aim? There are 300 people in this club. Don't lose your pills. (laughs) It's like ecstasy (laughs) ski ball. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Um, They... They had a an acid house night called Hot, which was only for that one summer of 87, I believe, where they had an indoor pool um, in the club. And hey, we're, uh, we're um, hemorrhaging money in this club, and um, we're finally getting to the point where we might be able to recoup some of it. Yeah. Now, my proposal is we take this moment yeah. and we build a pool in the club. How, how large? A pool? Olympic size. <laughs> And we in the man- inside the club we maintain this pool. Yes, I think we need a water feature at, at risk of damaging our equipment. Yeah, sh- don't tell anyone. I won't sign anyone. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like Peter Hook probably came in and like a pool was just there, and he's like, "Okay, great, cool." Um, so yeah, they had a pool. They tried to empty it, um, and tons of water burst out of the cargo doors of the club. This little old deer was walking past the club, pulling her shopping trolley, and it washed her about three hundred yards down the road. Holy shit. Also, to speak more about money mismanagement, they had different pint glasses for each club night. So, like for hot, they had the hot glasses. For nude, they had the nude glasses. There's a gay night later called flesh. They had the flesh glasses. So they changed these all the time, and they're also getting stolen because everyone, of course, wants one. I would have taken one. So, but also to speak on their like brand keen branding sense, like nude, flesh, hot. Like they know how to to put all the things under one roof. I mean, are these glasses on eBay? Ooh. Ooh. Um, yeah. So they have this insane merchandising. Like everything is, everything's thought of. And that's amazing to do this top down. You know, it, it almost harkens one might say to this current age of having everything be Instagram ready, mm-hmm. but there was no Instagram. Right. Like everything, just every detail. I went into a, a, like a fast casual Mediterranean restaurant the other day and their ice cream machine, they'd soft serve there and their soft serve was like the machine was printed and patterned to match the rest of the place. <laughs> like shit like that yeah, where yeah. I think it was maybe cooler back then than now. Anyway, um, the club at this point has become an international tourist destination in a very short period of time. Um, so the rave becomes mainstream. All the stuff that's kind of been bubbling up under the surface becomes the norm. Um, they apparently they did a poll of New Yorkers and at the time in 87, 40% of New Yorkers said that the city they'd most like to visit was Manchester. 40%. 40%. I don't know how large the sample size was. Wow. Can you imagine someone like if someone asked you right now, what city you'd want to go to most, what would you say? Rio. That's a good one. That is a good one. That's a tough. One. Oh, Tokyo. Tokyo. Which is Manchester. <laughs> although, although I, ha- I have been looking at Manchester. Manchester is a canal city, and you I do, do like love a canal, canal city. city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can throw your errant uh, employees in it in the canal. Yeah. Well, hopefully, Chapo will go to England next year, and we can pick up a date in Manchester. You can throw each other in the canal. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, of the scene at the time, um, the DJ John McCready said. 
Uh, I'll read a little paragraph from him. It was almost as if a generation breathed a sigh of relief, having been relieved of the pressure of the chase. The baggy clothes desexualized the whole environment. The rising heat from 2,000 people dancing, even at the bar, in the queue for the toilets, damped everyone down. We all looked crap. If you held onto the handrail of the balcony above the dance floor, your palms would be dripping in accumulated human sweat. The whole experience was always far more addicting than the drugs. So it's like this sort of free for all hot, sweaty. I, I like that in the time he can call out that late eighties fashion is hideous. Yeah. No, like it's not, it's not about even though like you would think that the whole experience is sexual. It's also not yeah. because you can't really like see everyone's like, yeah, everyone's clammy and you can't see what their bodies look like. <laughs> that actually might be hotter. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery. Do the factory boys uh, pocket and reinvest their, or, uh, you know, enjoy the profits of their influx of cash from these new club goers? Certainly not. Why would they do that? They open a bar instead for some reason (laughs) that I honestly truly don't understand. Because there are bars, bar areas in the club, Mm -hmm. but they open a bar to hang out at all the times that they aren't in in the the club. club. Okay. It's called dry. Um, It's an immediate money suck. They have a salad. They have a. <laughs> I was not expecting salad to be involved in this. For some reason, the food they decide to have food offerings at this bar because I think they. I think by law you have to have some form of food at the clubs. There's all these sort of arcane laws that in do England. That in yeah. England, and I mean they have that law here more or less. Yeah. Yeah. you have to have food yeah. at a bar. If uh, if a traveling minstrel uh, arrive, you must uh, accept no more than two pence. The compensation for a room above the stables. <laughs> I want to hear more about this salad. <laughs> they they decide that their food will be a macrobiotic salad bar. <laughs> Why can't you just stop? Just stop. You you have the club. It's finally working. Why why are you like next stop? Macrobiotic salad bars. <laughs> Sounds uh, an awful lot like they were thirty years ahead of their time. Yeah, they were because yeah. people like here would eat this shit up. Yeah, like this sounds it's, an awful lot like a foodier version of like James Murphy's wine bar. Yeah, mm-hmm, it does. Mm-hmm. If if James Murphy did what we would all expect James Murphy to do, which is open a club, a club first, and then has have... a wine and cheese bar attached to it. Yeah, I mean James Murphy opened the Hacienda too. Please, I mean the the Four Horsemen is like oh, it's so good. I hate how good it is. It is good. We should go back there. The bread the bread is amazing. I'll take there. this moment to say tell my one Four Horsemen story, which is we went there once four years after it opened. Uh, the only time we went there, and immediately after we walked in. Aziz Ansari walked in on a date. Yeah. And then about two months later, hit the second season of Master of None. His Netflix show dropped, which includes an episode in which he goes to the Four Horsemen on a date. Re- reality so, uh, is, yeah. is real. That guy's just walking around uh, being like, what I do today? We'll put, <laughs> we'll put that in the show. Man, one time I went to go get ice cream and this guy was in front of me and he got the ice cream I wanted, but it was okay because I was fucking his wife. <laughs> yep. Sounds about right. Um, yeah. James Harvey should definitely have a, like a quinoa bowl club. Um, they they spend a, a grand a week in wasted food at the macrobiotic salad bar because no yeah. one wants no one wants this. Also, no one's eating. Nine hundred pounds of quinoa just thrown into the canals of Manchester. <laughs> just 
slop for the the horsies. Uh, they also somehow install the wrong kind of taps for their beer, so they lose something like one pint for every four they sold. <laughs> Number three. Wait, is this three? I yeah, think this might be three or four. Yeah, this is three of, of ways to not make money. To selling not make beers. money on beer. Um, I'll say the the fourth way to not make money selling beer that I will mention is that when everyone's doing so many club drugs, they are not thirsty for beer. Yes. Um, they're thirsty for water. They're thirsty water. for water and for more drugs. Um, so they also did not sell enough beer that way. So that's three and four. Yeah, I think that's it. That's probably it, but we'll see if we we'll can see. come up with another one. Um, Oh, I, I'll have number five. Actually, we'll round it out at a solid five. Um, so they, they opened this ridiculous macrobiotic salad bar bar. Um, that then they start losing money on again. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say about it is that they have a marble marble slab top bar that Peter Hook says he opens beers on, like, directly. Oh, yeah, doing the old uh, counter yeah. uh, uh, smack. Yeah. Which I'm sure immediately destroys the marble slab top yeah. counter bar. Yeah. Great job, Peter. Awesome job, Peter. <laughs> um, the drugs at the Hacienda and just the overall atmosphere – they bring about um, cops who try to shut the place down. So the cops get really um, interested mm -hmm. in uh, getting drug busts and all Oi, that kind of stuff. The Bobby is trying to nick me Molly. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say a lot of my interest in this book stemmed from the fact that like I was really into train spotting when I was in high sure. school. And like, I can't resist just like a whole vibe of like, oi, so my mates and I were getting getting knackered at the pub off of Charlie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I figure that a lot of this book is like, okay, so we run to the run to the loo and this this bird shows me a tits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um also I don't know if you guys know the the acceptable term for club clubbers in England is punters. Are you familiar? I, I've heard punters is an English thing, but I hadn't really associated it directly with a club. Yeah. I club it was goers or bar goers. Mm -hmm. Punters. Punters. Pun punters. Would that be like, you know, it sounds like it's an insult. Yeah. Like that's the vibe I always got. It's Yeah. It's like a condescending way to refer to, to club, club boys. Um, oh, so it's like bros. Yeah. It's like bro. It's like Jersey Shore. It's like, I guess like English guidos. Jordy's. Jor yeah, but those are like a specific regional yeah, flavor yeah. of punter. Yeah, I am. Um, yes. So uh, the cops get involved. The cops are sniffing around the place often. There's also um, ga gang violence becomes a problem at the Hacienda. Mm -hmm. uh, gangsters move in and sort of make themselves comfortable. Um, and so the club is getting more and more violent due to scuffles between the gangs. Um, the, the way they came in one basically one night it was like three guys came to the door and said to the bouncers we're coming in the bouncers say yeah you and whose army the gangsters say us and these and they opened their coats and flashed their guns well of course you're coming in oh god um so the fifth way to lose beer is to uh be a gangster and just ask for free beer oh because they do that yeah yep well. um they come in they don't want to pay for anything they want to bring their friends in uh it sounds like there's like a a several different gangs in Manchester that have stretched back over like dozens of years. Yeah. Um, and so they all, they all come in and have a great time <laughs> at the Hacienda. <laughs> so what, 
Hook and the staff do is turn to one particular gangster family, the Noonans. Okay. Damien Noonan of the notorious Manchester Noonans. And so they basically pay them for protection. Um, they are the, they sort of run security in a way. Um, but, and they sort of get eminent domain in the club. Uh, but this still, it doesn't necessarily decrease the violence. It just makes it so that there are clear sides. Yes. Uh, it's weird. Um, they, they, they don't try to eliminate gangs. They try to get gang supremacy. Right. Yeah. If you, if you have a dominant one, then maybe other people go elsewhere, except they don't because there's not really anywhere else to go. (laughs) Um, what else happens? Flesh, which is their gay night starts running, which is very successful. I imagine. Um, there's times where people say to, uh, Tony and, um, uh, Rob, like we should just make this a gay club. Like our best night is the gay night. Everyone like Everyone has a good time and like there's no problems. <laughs> well, <yes. laughs> and the reason that they don't change it is because they're like, oh, well, how are you going to like hit on girls when it's a gay club? Yeah. You know. Um, well, there might be all these violent criminals running around on all the other nights, but um, there are girls. So fear of death. Girls. Birds. Fear of death. Wow. That's kind of an easy call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the weirdest hook says the weirdest flesh night involved an employee running up to, uh, their manager Ange in tears because two guys were dancing with bottles shoved up their arses. He was worried about collecting the empties, I suppose. Oh, <laughs> I, would be I feel more- like you need to be reading these quotes in a British accent yeah. when they use the word arse Ar- or losses. Uh, I would be more worried about uh, liability. Accidents. Yes. Yeah, no, it's da- it's dangerous stuff. Um, the scene was changing by the, the early, mid-90s. Uh, old timers are basically staying home because people are getting older and yep. they're not clubbing as much except for Peter Hook and his friends. Um the younger kids were gravitating, gravitating toward like harder techno and drum mm-hmm. and bass and all that stuff, which is like the Hacienda wasn't interested in yes. supporting. Uh, because and trance as well. E- they did a little trance. Because EDM, uh, <laughs> the only thing more fractious than uh, leftist groups is uh, electronic dance music because as soon as one genre is created, two more genre- genres uh, fracture out of it. Yeah, the, ha- so the like- half-life of like individual EDM genres <laughs> is incredibly Yeah, incredibly so it's short. like uh, 1987, electronic dance music is is a identifiable thing. Yeah. 1989, oh, you like jungle, you, you fucking tosser. <laughs> Drum and bass all the way. <laughs> Go hang out with those house music sissies over there. <laughs> Were you, were you going to trance night? What kind of what kind of beats per minute are you into? Yeah. Like, come on, that's way too few. Yes, more the more beats per up minute for yeah. me. <laughs> at least you know. At least the thing about these, it's somewhat quantifiable. Mm-hmm. I remember when I learned in college about moon moonbaton. Are you guys? I've not heard this familiar one. Familiar with moonbaton? It's. <laughs> It's so stupid. It's a very specific number of beats per minute. I think everything has to be like 140 or something. I'm going to have to fact check myself right now. Um, oh, oh, I, now that I see this word, I recognize it. Moomaton is a fusion genre of house music and reggaeton that was created by American DJ and producer Dave Nada in Washington, D.C. in 2009. 
Um, holy shit. <laughs> 100 to 115 beats per minute, not more or less. Now this is this is from a 2018 Moombaton mix. So at this point we might be dealing with some kind of bastardized Moombaton that deviates from the prescribed 100 to 115 beats per minute. We certainly may. We so. might have strayed too far from the light of God. We of we need a pure we need a purity check. Yes. If anyone's listening in there. We must purge the Moombaton caucus. Uh, to to so that only the the true Moombaton believers yeah uh, remain so that the residents of Moombatonia yeah. can sleep peacefully and dance dance in peace as well um, yeah so the scene the scene has changed people get older uh, children get older I'm getting older too uh, Mike Pickering who's the DJ of Nude the the Nude Night. He quit the real to me. The real end of an era is he quits after someone uh, holds him at gunpoint in order to have him play the song they're requesting. <laughs> He's like, I'd be like, fuck I'm this. Out. I'm, I'm out. out. I'm <laughs> going to space now. <laughs> um, Hook says, despite it all, we partied to spite fate. It was like the band playing on the bridge of the Titanic as the ship sank. <laughs> So he's still going. Um, at some point, he stops doing what he calls class A drugs. Oh, God. Um, and starts drinking heavily instead. And he marries an actress, which he seems to immediately regret. <laughs> he just has this sort of like spiteful like couple of pages about this actress that he marries who he does not name. I don't know who it is. Uh, I figure you could just look at his Wikipedia page yeah. really easily. It's probably some like random uh, British woman named like Tamsin or something <laughs> or like uh, Shaban. Yeah. Shaban Hook. Um, anyway, so the negative energy continues to increase in the club and they start losing money again because no one is going because no one wants to get shot. Shocker. Um, he says, we saw unspeakable acts of wanton violence at the door being done to or by our bouncers. Oh, my God. Just like heads are being cracked every night. There's like random gunfire often. Um, and they finally are unable to keep the ship going financially. So factory records closes first. And then when the record can no longer prop up the club, <laughs> the club has no money. They can't figure out anyone who wants to buy it. Um, at one point, Richard Branson is in the running to purchase the Hacienda. Oh, that sounds about right. And he's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> even Even he is like, He's like, yeah, I'll spend a billion dollars trying to get a space shuttle off the ground. The Hacienda, uh, that seems a bit risky. <laughs> and I will say, like, just to be clear, because I don't know what kind of like socioeconomic context people have, like, there are black and white gangsters. It's uh -huh. like a multiracial contingent, just because like, I feel like the, the word gangster is a loaded yeah. racial word. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not... It's at least the way Hook puts it, it it that's not like the animosity it has nothing to do with like being of a different socioeconomic or racial contingent. It's, like it's just like he's gang like shit. It's like turfing. Yeah, it's it reminds me more of the Sopranos of like who gets to be like yeah. the big boys in the club. Yes, um, which is, of course, the main problem that the Sopranos ever have is who is the biggest boy? <laughs> who is the biggest boy? It is. Yeah, it is. Who is the biggest? That's boy. actually a really good tagline. Yeah. It's like Sopranos colon who is the biggest boy that's the central <laughs> question of it yeah um so he says everything special about the hacienda was in the past buried under years of violence um 
they sell they sell the building and it basically is over. Um, ninety eight, I think they make it to. They make it all the way to ninety eight. Ninety seven. Uh, yeah, ninety seven. They close. Um, for goodsies. And he says, so they basically have to sell it for parts um, and everything gets ripped up and sort of like squirreled away. I think he tries to save the dance floor at one point mm-hmm. himself and the dance floor gets taken away. But he says he's so he's looking at the building as that, it's being, that one roadie is back in the corner being like, hey, y'all going to use those lights. <laughs> I'll have him. Thanks. Uh He's looking around kind of as it's in the process of being destroyed. He notices there's a tape box, a cassette tape box shoved under a platform that keeps it level. And he kind of pries it out. And it's one of the masters of unknown pleasures. Oh, my God. (laughs) So he says, it made me smile. Joy Division had held the whole fucking thing up, (laughs) which I thought was kind of sweet. sweet. Like, I don't know. (laughs) So it's I mean, it's very bittersweet, this whole thing and mostly bitter in that it was a failed venture, <laughs> but <laughs> and, and it was kind of failed constantly yeah, throughout. Yeah. Why did they open that fucking bar? I know. I feel like the bar was the, that, the biggest mistake. I feel like in the, in the chronology of the story, that's like the turning point where like things were starting to go right. And maybe they could have gotten like legit and, and, and in the black and like figured out how to actually run it. And they're yeah. like, no macrobiotic bar. <laughs> That sounds an awful lot like a comedic version of the moment that you're like gambling and everything's going really great. And you're, you're like, like all nah. black. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they should have, you know, diversified stamps, rare metals, um, e- you know, EKG. Better New Order records. Better New Order records. <laughs> no, yeah. most New Order records are pretty good. Well, it's, it's funny that it makes it to 97 because it feels like one of those things where like certainly it had curdled and it was on a downward trend, but, um, I, but like if they had made it like, I don't know, to like 2001, Mm -hmm. they would have hit like the new order, the first wave of like new order joy division nostalgia. And like suddenly people like a second generation would be old enough to be like, Oh yeah, the classic dance club, uh, the Hacienda. But I think that's also so, I mean, you see it in New York too, is that like, it's kind of impossible for, I think CBGB's is like maybe the only venue that made it kind of it yeah, through what multiple. CBGB do like almost 35 years, something yeah. like that. It made it to 2008. But, you know, area, Danceteria, Paradise Garage, mm-hmm. like all those places were closed within like a few yeah. years of their opening. And even. Oh, yeah, we were talking about this the other day about the um, the kind of DIY cycle of venues. Or I was talking about this the other mm-hmm. day and how, you know, uh, uh, my personal losing my edges. I was there. I was there the night uh, the OCs played the last night of Death by Audio. Mm-hmm. I was there the night the, the OCs played the last night of Two Eight Five Kent. I was there. Yeah, like, you see a common yeah, denominator here. But like venue murderers. <laughs> well, they're brought in to 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 slowly uh, put this pillow over the head. The <laughs> um, but but yeah, and that those venues closing the first time Market Hotel closed. Uh, uh, Monster Island, um, Death by Audio, um, Glasslands, all these places that uh, that were like big scene clubs mm-hmm. closed. And at the time, it feels real death of an era. But then they just pop up new versions of them 10 blocks out. Yeah. And like you kind of have to close to have 
the golden your golden era. Well, it's definitely different though because I mean, um I don't know what it was like 20 years ago, but I do know that the UK has had does currently have and has had for a while extremely draconian nightlife rules. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with the criminal justice bill, but like in a lot of cases kind of even clubbing at all is sort of illegal mm-hmm. um, in the UK like, yeah because like, also New York has like ridiculous cabaret laws too. no 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 the cabaret law is dead oh yeah the as cabaret, of like like last year a month ago or, yeah yeah um, and now we have a nightlife mayor. Yeah, all, all hail the nightlife mayor. <laughs> oh, I would also like to announce my candidacy for nightlife mayor of New York. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, go out there and put my name on some kind of ballot. If you just I'm like use it. Foursquare enough in nightlife. The in nightlife general. mayor should be who can drink the most shot and beers. At it that, should be a drinking contest. Yeah, at that one terrible place right off uh, Astor Place that where you can get 10 shots for $5 or whatever it I is. I think that place is closing. <laughs> this is why I have to be the nightlife mayor, to keep the classic New York venues alive. Wait, where is this? Oh, uh, the Continental, I think it's called. Oh. It's right off Astor Place. Oh, is that it, like St. Mark's? Yeah, it's like five shots for $10 or something like they that. They got a big banner up front. Yeah. Never been. It's bad. But yeah, no, the, the English laws, like the ridiculous nightlife laws, like when... Um, the Hacienda first opened, they had to be members only. <laughs> and so they printed like membership cards. Those are probably on eBay. Um, I'm on eBay. I, they, I wasn't able to they were always thing. having to do things to kind of fit into what uh, they were legally allowed to mm-hmm. do. Like surf food and shit like that. <gasps> Rare, genuine fact 51, the Hacienda unused membership card. $53. That's not. That's not bad. Bad. Oh, it's really well Does designed. it have someone's face on it or is it just like text? It's like a fucking credit card. Dang. It's really cool. <laughs> the holy grail of, of and introducing merch is this. And then the, um, all the backstage pass with, um, slash getting tea bagged by Tommy Lee. Oh yes. Yes. That's my personal, uh, white, white whale. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. I, the thing about clubs in particular, as opposed to like rock venues is like peop- rock venues can be heritage in a way that I think clubs it's once you're not the flavor, it's hard to get your magic back. I think it's much harder to be like, Oh yes, this club's been open since 1980, yeah. whatever. That being said, like studio 54 open now, I think it could be, cool again maybe or something I, well i don't know yes. well it just maybe, think, not. Yeah, maybe the nostalgia club thing would it would just attract the wrong type of people yeah well that, i think it, inarguably it, like the largest factors in all of this sort of thing would be like racism homophobia and ageism mm-hmm. right um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and also like to have a really cool club you need a core group of cool people who are going to it because they know it's cool and once it gets too big then you get people who have heard about it outside the quote unquote cool circle and you get like, I don't know, these guys, these Manchesterians with guns. Yeah. Or even like a club full of tourists. Yeah. Of who, the 40% of New York who, <laughs> who really want to Manchester. Well, I mean, it's not so bad. You know, nightlife tourism is not necessarily like a bad thing, but if the idea of the club that you want to start is changed by the people who yeah. end up going there, then it's not going to last forever. Yeah. Is there any epilogue to this? Or is that the end of our tale of the... That's basically the end of the tale. He says it's really weird when they film 24-hour party people because they basically build like a replica mm-hmm. set of the Hacienda. And he says that at one point, 
I can't remember which player involved is like, we're going to take this set and we're going to basically operate it as a real business and we're going to run it as the Hacienda and like we're going to open it again. And he was like, livid, you know, mm-hmm. why, why would someone, why should someone else profit on the hard work that we put in for years yeah, yeah, and years yeah. and years of just like screwing up over and over again? And then he said that there was like a miscommunication between people ripping down the set where they were like, are, oh, so they had sold it to people who were going to run it as a club. And he's like, fuck no. They're breaking They're What's the word when you take a set down? They're striking, striking the set. And uh, the, the guy asked like, uh, are we keeping this? And the guy's saying, no, it's been sold. But all the guy heard was no. And so he got he started destroying it before the, he really understood that it had been sold and they were keeping it. So Hook was avenged, and this the the fake hacienda did not happen. So that's like the main epilogue. Um. Anyway, twenty four hour party people, great. Do you recommend the other thing? I will recommend at the end of this episode is that um there are a number of Mike Pickering Hacienda DJ sets on YouTube Mm -hmm. that you can just listen all the way through. They're an hour, hour and a half long. Um, They're cool and interesting. Uh, They have different dates like Mike Pickering Hacienda nude night. Oh seven or, you know, July 8th, 1987. If you want to get a little uh, glimpse of, you know, what, what a DJ night was, was at this time. I like listening to stuff like that. I'll maybe link to uh, one of those in the show notes for this. Yeah. 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 Do it. Um, Hot stuff. Anything else? The music indoors. That's it. Everyone just remember to keep your mouths closed at the club so no one throws an ecstasy pill in it. Uh, yes, please do that. Do we want to talk Peter Hook, like, you know, general feelings? Do you have general feelings about Peter Hook? Um, well, I mean, I do think that there's a lot to be said about the whole, you know, like merchandise hawking of like, okay, so there's the Supreme collection that is, you know, no, 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 no. There was a Supreme collection that I think was like power, corruption and lies. And, um, now there's the Doc Martens collection. That's like, you know, you've got the joy division boot with like the unknown pleasures, like leather. Oh yes. Yes. I saw that. And then you've got like the power, corruption and lies boot with the flowers Mm -hmm. and you know like every year there's just like some new like you know uh, and that's all hooks doing he's the arbiter of this uh street streetwear merchandising i I, i'm not sure i bet that's actually the thing that he's resentful of because clearly the other guys retain the rights to new order because they tore his new order yes but I think there might be something about Joy Division because he can clearly play all those Joy Division songs, but he has to also tour as Peter Hook in the Light. He can't be like Peter Hook plays Joy Division. Right. I bet that that's something he's really resentful of, that he has none of that stuff. Yeah. Well, as to harken back to our recent Slash episode, when Slash was conferring with Keith Richards over whether to leave Guns N' Roses, and Keith was like, don't leave. Never leave the band. Yes. Because when you leave the band, you leave your, you yeah. know... All of all of the trappings thereof. Yeah, here's my favorite Peter Hook. Think thing. of the merch. Think of the think, think of, of the, the merch, merch Peter. What <laughs> the merchandising? Here's my favorite Peter Hook thing. <laughs> yes. Is this two minute video of like somebody, somebody touring Peter Hook's studio, and you can tell hear him freak out as soon as he hears that iconic oh, bass tone. And this is the other guy. He picks it up, and he starts. Starts playing the yeah. level terrace apart bass, bass line. 
Wait. That's Peter Hook. Just immediately being like, wrong, wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Immediately takes the bass back. Every band needs an asshole, I think. And then immediately starts showing. You are right. Yeah. No band will ever succeed without an asshole. Every band needs an asshole or like an off his nuts conspiracy theorist. Which is funny because that can bring me back to um, Happy Mondays and how Sean Ryder is super into UFOs. He had like a show about UFOs, much, much like Tom DeLonge. Tom DeLonge and Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire are also a big UFO enthusiast. I feel like they should all get together and be like, okay, so we like music and we're also really into UFOs. Let's collab. Yes. You know. Yeah, they should, should could start their own even more specific bass supergroup like Peter Hook's four bass supergroup free bass uh, but this one is an all bass supergroup that only talks about UFOs I just love that immediately like it, handing your bass to a fan in the studio and he starts playing level Terrace apart and yeah. not even letting him get through the whole thing and be like wrong wrong you do it give back wrong wrong now watch me play the thing that you've heard me play your entire life over and over and over again what a jerk I mean, I know. I mean, I would like a bass lesson from Peter Hook, but it's still funny. All right. So, Sarah, you suggested one other fun thing to do from this book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so this book has a bunch of, you know, like has the records of everything that happened, like all of the shows that happened on particular days. And I figure that all of us were born during (laughs) these shows. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we could just approximate what was happening when each of us were born. Great. Let's do it. I figure, Chris, you're the oldest. Uh, I, I am, and I will go first. You, while I'm doing this, Molly, how was this uh, as a book? It, I mean, it, honestly, it's like, it's a very, the tone was very like grim and cranky. <laughs> like even, I know we just came off an episode where Alex James from Blur is incredibly good at describing just fun nights that you'll never forget, <laughs> whether he's riding a horse in Iceland at two in the morning or... Uh, you know, so drunk on like rosé and uh complacency that he falls asleep at 10 p.m. in in con. Alex but, James the cheese man. Alex James the cheese boy. Um, uh, but like Peter Hook, it's just it's hard to tell that he ever had fun. Honestly, even though he spent I'm his sure entire life did. having a good time. I'm sure he did. It's just it seems like just a real grim march into the like club abyss to me personally. <laughs> a death a death march into <laughs> not the a, club. Not scene. a fun read for something that's about a a, a club full of fun all right so three days before i was born was a nude by mike pickering great uh wednesday the 20th uh which is probably the closest day to my birthday in january 1988 that would be uh something called zumbar hot flesh (laughs) pedro fashion pa by james (laughs) great Ooh, a few days later was spoonie g ah spoonie G. g Oh, I also got to go to a Hacienda party very early in my interning career. Was it themed after this Hacienda? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was like, you know, um, it was a brand launch and they got like this firehouse in Soho that was across the street from uh, the late Santos party house. Oh, I remember Santos yeah, party house. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And um, they got like Marshall Jefferson to DJ oh, nice. and that was really awesome. Um, and this other guy whose name I don't remember, but I got to, you know, jam to a lot of the cool house music songs that I had really wished 
that I could jam along to for years and drank lots of free alcohol. And sounds it was, great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. I mean, it sounds a lot like being at the Hacienda. Yeah. Was, it was, was nowhere near unnecessarily as Unnecessarily free. Yeah. Yeah. You would get free booze either by... Hook or by crook. By, by hook or by... Literally, by hook. By hook. Or, or by, by crook. crook. Yes. It's good. If uh, there's not hooks, sometimes if there is hook, there will also be a crook. By hook and by crook. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, this is a bit revelatory because I thought I was born on a Thursday. <laughs> and according to this, I was born on a Friday. So that's normal. Um, mine was a, a nude night with Mike Pickering, but also Graham Park, who was became like a... That was like probably a, who I saw a at British the show. That, yeah. And then Frankie Knuckles, Ooh, motherfucker. Nice. Yeah. OG. Hot, hot night. Hot night when I was born. Uh, and Sarah? Um, I also had a nude on my actual birthday. Looks like the entire month of September was just nudes. Just nudes? Yeah. Um, also, all of August was just nudes. <laughs> um, were n- not a hot programming time. For- yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, October was uh, one of them was the Temperance Club. <laughs> So that's another way to not make money off of beer. <laughs> um, Blur played in November. Um, nice. Early uh, Blur. Uh, column in October. Oh, that's um, nice. Around then. Yeah. We should also mention uh, for long-term listeners of the show that Sarah has another thematic uh, relationship to the show and that uh, she was born on that very good night. The, the 21st night of September. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was born on a disco holiday. The best, the best night. <laughs> disco holiday. Uh, before we go, I just wanted to do one little thing because we we're running a little short today. Uh, this is a, a complete left turn, but it was something that you were describing to me that I, I think that our listeners might enjoy. Yes. Molly, can you tell me about Kid Rock and <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have to pull up the tweet because uh, this is what made me think of this. Um so Kid, the the origin of this was that Kid Rock sang "Sweet Home Alabama" at Woodstock '99, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Um, as I said before, when the you know the shit is flowing and it's time for Kid Rock, uh, so he lo- he Kid Rock loves "Sweet Home Alabama." Right. He is not from Alabama. No. I believe he's from Detroit. Metro yeah. Detroit. Right. Um. Yet he seems to have adopted this song kind of as his own. But the song <laughs> seems to haunt him in that he has not written it and he will never write Sweet Home Alabama because it has already been written, written by Leonard Skinner. And, um, oh, it was surfaced the other, uh, like a few weeks ago, that he talked shit about Beyonce in an yes. interview from like a few years ago, three years ago. And he said he was basically just like, saying that Beyonce doesn't do anything for me. Like her music doesn't do anything for me. I don't think she's like an iconic person. She, you know, she hasn't written a, you know, she, what, she hasn't written a sweet home Alabama. <laughs> I just love that. Like the first words out his mouth always when he's trying to talk about like the best song, the most iconic song you can do is sweet home Alabama. And I just think that every day he must wake up and he feels so bad that he has not written sweet home Alabama. And also the reason that, that Beyonce thing was resurfaced is because it's been years and Beyonce fans still comment on all of his Instagrams with oh, yes, snake this emojis. Was why. Snake, snake emojis. No, bee emojis. Bee emojis. Yeah. Snakes. This was years ago. Yes. 
he also has a song called All Summer Long that was released in 2008 that yes. samples Sweet Home Alabama. Yes. I believe it, at the first time we were talking about this that uh, we that we there was another interview or something where he brought up Sweet Home Alabama in his like list of iconic songs. Yes. And I just love the image of Kid Rock treasured reviled uh, Detroit reviled. Southern rocker just being yeah. haunted uh, in front of a um, you know Salieri like in front of a wall of lyrics and sheet music and just broken guitars just banging his head on it being like it's never it's never as good as Sweet Home Alabama Every and every time he needs to like write a riff or something he's like he picks up a guitar and it's just like he tunes it he gets his pick ready he warms up his fingers and it's no 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 <laughs> oh, you know, you know what that's like. You, you guys, you guys ever seen Rent? You guys ever watch Rent? Yes. No. You know where Roger is always writing the yes, yes, he's trying, yes, no, because he's trying to just do Love on Rose yeah. more or less, yeah. or like he's trying to write his song, but it just keeps being Love on Rose. And Roger is exists. to that refrain as Kid Rock is to Sweet Home Alabama. Alabama. Well, thank I, you for I, indulging I, my. Uh, no, I, it's. I think it's funny, and, and you know, I hope that Kid Rock finds his sweet home Alabama. I don't think he ever will. I, I hope he finds his sweet home Alabama of the soul. Sweet home Detroit. Sweet home Detroit. Sweet home Michigan. All right. Well, let's move uh, confidently into the end of this episode. Uh, I think we've taken care of all the kind of business. But Sarah, thank you for joining us on the pod today. Yeah. I was extremely happy to be here. So we were happy pleasure. to have you. Yes. And thank you, dear listener, for listening. Uh, you know how it goes. Follow us on Twitter at and IntroPod. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Say What Again. You can follow me on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. Still underrated. Still further. Get notice. those ratings up. Send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Uh, and check out our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh-huh. And while you're there, you should review us. But more importantly than reviewing us, as always, tell a friend. Reach out. Like, throw our pod into your friend's mouth. Yeah. Like so many uh, pieces of unwanted ecstasy. Uh, just go up to them. And before they can even uh, get a word out, uh, just scream into their mouths. And introducing pod. You know, like like an unexpected dose of ecstasy. It might be an a unexpected weird dose first, of ecstasy, but then <laughs> the ride afterwards will be, yeah. I think, pretty fun. Yes, um, we've also been getting some fire tweets lately. So thank thanks for all the recos, everybody. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, we'll say we'll already say that the people tweeting stuff that we should do is already extremely directly affecting our programming in the future so yeah. uh, tweeting at the show account and in, at and intropod is a great way to get us to do something that you might enjoy be a part of history, <laughs> part of history. change the future of the make universe. us feel good about ourselves <laughs> uh, thank you for listening we'll be back in another two weeks with another episode of and intro do say Thank you.